Morning, brethren. I invite you please to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. I'd like to read in your hearing, follow with me please, the entire chapter, chapter 13, Genesis chapter 13. Commencing our reading at verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated each other from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of memory, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Let's just again pray, asking our Lord's help. 
O our great God, as we pause together in your presence, it is our heart's desire that you would speak to us. Speak to us, O Lord, we pray, through this your word. And yet, Lord, if we would be those that would hear, give us, we ask as well, ears that would hear your voice, and that we might indeed be willing receivers of what you say to us throughout this day and even in this first hour. Glorify yourself. Lord, show us our own hearts and show us your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family trees are fascinating things. Just last month, my wife and I were in the UK and we were able to trace out some locations where two different branches of my family tree come from. Now, some can trace their ancestry way back. Mine has been traced back to a soldier in Cromwell's army. And even further back than that, to the year 1570. Well, there are numerous family trees given to us in the Old Testament scripture. And some of those family trees, we might argue, go way back. There's one family that we're going to concentrate on today, in this hour, in the morning and evening services, and it's the family of Lot. And my aim, let me just state it right up front, is that by the end of this day, when you head home, you will ever remember Lot's life. That's what we're considering today, what I've simply given an overall title for the three sermons, Remember Lot's Life. Now, according to the Apostle Peter, and we should be thankful for his insights, Lot was a believer. Peter calls him very clearly in 2 Peter chapter 2, righteous Lot. Now, what sort of leadership to his family, what sort of headship as a believer he gave, that perhaps is another matter, as I believe we will see. But the story of Lot in Scripture begins when Lot's father, Haran, died. And Lot goes to live with his uncle, Uncle Abram. And so that means when God called Abram to leave Ur of Chaldees, Lot was there. When God gave Abram those famous promises in Genesis chapter 12 of making him a great nation and a blessing to all the families of the earth through his seed, Lot and his herdsmen were there, camped with Abram's family. When Uncle Abe went down to Egypt for a short while, Lot went too. When Abram returned to Canaan and built an altar to worship God, Lot was there. And so in these ways we can see that Lot had many privileges living effectively with Uncle Abe 
that man of faith. In some ways, Lot is a complex character. But who isn't? There's something about Lot, I would suggest, that most of us are drawn to. Perhaps, in a peculiar way, we see ourselves in Lot. Now, Lot had saving faith, but Lot had weak faith. And most of us can relate to that too. You see, there are things about Lot and his family we might repel from, things that should be a warning to us. I mean, Lot was way too earthly-minded. And he set an example which in many ways ruined his family, all of them. And yet, nevertheless, in the end, Lot was a saved man. And he was literally saved from God's judgment on Sodom. But how did Lot's family come to live in Sodom? And so consider with me, friends, in this first session, Lot's disastrous decision. And I want to bring out three things. The decision he made the direction he took, and the deliverance he needed. Let's look then back into Genesis chapter 13 primarily, as we consider firstly the decision he made. Now Genesis 13 opens up by telling us that Abraham, this man of faith, returned from Egypt to the altar that he had previously built near Bethel. There we're told he called on the Lord. Now God has prospered Abram. It's recorded for us in verse 2, where Moses records these words, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And so too was Lot. Have a look at verse 5. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So financially, they were booming, we might say. Again, Moses is outlining all of this for us. Verse 7, he says, there's a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. It does appear that Abram is concerned here for their witness before the pagan nations. He says at the end of verse 7, the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Could this be almost like an awareness? The world is watching Lot. Abram, the gracious, generous uncle, gave Lot first choice, didn't he? In verse 9, is not the whole land before you? 
Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And so we get to the point, what would Lot choose? He had a decision to make. For years, he had actually witnessed how his uncle lived, though not perfectly, yet he did live by faith. And he had no doubt seen how his uncle prayed and his uncle worshipped at the altar. And yet the first thing that Moses records here about the decision that Lot made is not that he prayed. There's no mention of that anywhere. But it's actually about Lot's eyes. Have a look at verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Oh, the serpent of old had slithered into that valley and tempted Lot to do just as he did to Eve. Lot's choice was based on his sight. He's lured toward a lush valley. See how it looked. Think of this, of all that he could gain. Now, I believe one of the things that Moses is doing in this section of the book of Genesis is he's drawing a clear contrast between the life of Abraham and the life of Lot. And if you think about that as you read through this section, you will see this reoccur again and again. You see, just four and a half, four to five years earlier, Abram had an important decision to make himself. God spoke in Ur. God gave direction to Abraham. What would he do? Well, the Bible tells us he obeyed God and he went out not knowing where he was going. He walked by faith, not by sight. He didn't know what was coming after the next sand dune or around the next corner, and yet he nevertheless obeyed and trusted in God. He walked by faith. And yet, can you see that Moses is showing us here, now in relation to Lot, he's showing us a contrast because the decision that Lot made was based on sight. Again, verse 10. Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Now, for a herdsman like Lot, this was an easy decision, right? I mean, look at the abundance of water. Look at all the food. And so how appealing that valley must have appeared for his flocks and for his herds. And you see what it's likened to in the second half of verse 10. It's likened to the Garden of Eden. 
The plains of Jordan, are, they're so fertile, they are so green, they are so lush, they are so pleasant to look on, it's likened to the garden of the Lord. That is some sight. Moses also compares it to something else there in verse 10. He says it's like the land of Egypt. Now remember the previous chapter, Lot has just been in Egypt. That is a relevant reference to make for Lot. It's fresh in his memory. How well watered and fertile Egypt was. How fat Egypt, Egyptian cows really are. Oh, if I choose this valley, I too will have fat cows. Think of the price that I'll be able to fetch at the sales in Sodom. This is a no-brainer. Quick, where do I sign? And how can I go wrong? In terms of career option, the pay will be really good. Opportunities to grow my business will be endless. And though at this point Lot couldn't see it, he was being lured by the lust of the eyes. The spirit of worldliness rose in this believer's heart. And he is drawn away by what seems so desirable to his eyes. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with green grass. Our grass at home at the moment is brown. Having just been to England, I know which I prefer to look at. So in the green grass itself, there's nothing wrong with that. And having plenty of water for your animals is, is a relatively good thing. But you know the point here, right? That was Lot's focus in considering this decision. It's a worldly decision. His concentration was not on his soul. It was not where will this decision lead me spiritually? He wasn't thinking firstly about God's kingdom and, and God's righteousness. This was simply a good business deal. Now, readers of the Bible know what happens in Edom and Egypt. God's judgment came to both. And Moses tells us up front, if you didn't know the rest of the story, that's what comes to this valley. It's in parenthesis, isn't it? Right in the middle of verse 10. Before the Lord, Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll see that dramatic part of the story later on today. But just now, here it's being foreshadowed. It's being put in front of us to help us realize the folly of this decision. And you see, knowing what we do, what will happen in this valley, we might look on as Lot makes this decision and we might be thinking, no, don't choose that, Lot. Not there. Don't go in that direction. And what is worse, he is the head of his family. 
and his decision will have a direct impact on his entire household. The decision he made. And I, I remind you quickly, friends, that these things in the Old Testament have been written for our instruction. What important decisions are before us? We must look beyond what is appealing. What we can see here and now, we need to bring into the, into the, the view of our eyes issues of faith. We need to think of the impact of, of our decisions upon our soul. We need to have kingdom priorities as we make decisions as believers. How will this decision impact others? Chapter 13 finishes with Uncle Abe again building an altar. But the contrast for Lot to that is verse 11. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. The decision he made. Secondly, I draw your attention to the direction he went. The direction he went. And again, it's clearly stated in verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Lot chose the neighbourhood of the cities or, or near the, the cities of the valley of Jordan. He lived in the plain. Now at this point it seems he's not living in the cities. He's still living in his tent. But yet he is in the orbit of these cities. And there's actually five cities in the valley they're listed for us in the next chapter, in chapter 14 and verse 2. You can see them there. Sodom, the one put first, likely because it's the main city. Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Ziborum, and Zoah. And Moses highlights that it's, it's somewhere near Sodom where Lot initially pitched his tent. That's what he tells us at the end of verse 12. He pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now, repeatedly in the scriptures, we read of Sodom. There's references to Sodom in numerous places. And, and most of us would understand it's, it's a city and it's a name used to simply stand for wickedness. But again, if you didn't know that, Moses tells you in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. There is nothing neutral or merely a preference about Sodom. Verse 13 is abundantly clear. And here we see Moses bringing out the folly of Lot's choice into clear view. We can't miss it. 
Because Abraham and Lot had been, had been around those parts of the country for several years by this point. They knew the reputation of the people who lived in this valley. Everyone knew this. The men of Sodom, verse 13, were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. But that's still where Lot chose. You say, well, why didn't Uncle Abe try and stop Lot making this move? Well, perhaps he did try. As a pastor, many times over the years, I've watched some of God's people make some poor decisions. Families under a sound ministry where they were growing and were stable spiritually. And a potential job promotion came up or a, a place to buy a, a nice house where it would move them away into a spiritual wilderness and they got tempted. Their eyes lit up. Just like Lot, they lifted up their eyes. They couldn't see where it would go. They wouldn't be told. They had their hearts set on it. They had their mind made up. We can all do that sort of thing. We can have our hearts set. Our ears deaf to warnings. And we go in the direction we choose and it's a direction of unhappiness. Now, when we hear of Sodom, we likely default to think of homosexuality. I mean, after all, it is where the term sodomy comes from. But friends, the Bible tells us that Sodom's sin was broader than that perversion. And I think it is helpful for us to understand that. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 16, very helpfully, the fuller picture is given to us in a list here, just in these two verses in Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Okay, so here are the the list, as it were, that comes under this title, The Iniquity of Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, an abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. And so here as God lists Sodom's sins, isn't it interesting what the first one is in the list? Pride. Much could be said on that, but we'll push ahead. What else is listed there? People living in self-indulgent luxury. Laziness. They have a lot, but they lack compassion. They're self-centered people. 
That's Sodom's culture being described. Now, Sodom is often singled out of the five cities, likely because it was possibly the largest, if not certainly the worst. And there in verse 50, it does say they committed abomination, possibly the reference to sexual perversion. But friends, increasingly, in all of those ways, we live in Sodom. And yet Lot pitched his tent toward these people. It was in this direction his decision took him and his family. Foolishly, he was concentrating on his career, on his increased income, on his advancement in life. This head of the home failed to calculate the impact this would have on his family's spiritual well-being. And Lot soon discovered, as we will see, that one compromise swings the door wide open for another compromise. You see, within a very short period of time, we discover that, that Lot moves again, don't we? We see a downhill slide in chapter 14 of Genesis. We then, in the middle of this next story, we have this reference in passing in verse 12, where it says, They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So Lot has moved now into the city. He left his tents and he lives in a house in that wicked town. He's a Sodom citizen. How quickly things can change. He goes from worshipping at the altar with Uncle Abe to residing with these perverted men. And the time frame between chapter 13 and verse 12 and chapter 14 and verse 12 is only two to three years. So within, within short years, Lot had compromised again. One compromise soon gave rise to another. But can't we be so good at justifying and rationalizing in our minds these types of moves? I mean, Mrs. prefers it in town. She likes the social interaction. And Lot, well, I mean, I need a real home, not this tent. It's time to upgrade. Uh, we need to be closer to the shops. Our daughters, they need friends. Did Lot want to improve his business? So being in town would be better for his business? I mean, I could get myself on the town council and as a righteous man, I could have an influence. And it would be a smart move for real estate. I mean, this is clearly the way to get ahead. I can address the cost of living concerns. Whatever be the head games 
to quieten his conscience as a saved man. The reality was Lot moved his family into what would have to be one of the worst cities in the history of mankind. What was Lot thinking? Lot's previous compromise blurred his thinking and his spiritual perception. And perhaps at the start, when everything was new, oh, it seemed so exciting. And at the beginning, he might have been able to convince himself that, that he would enjoy the good life in his new career, in this new place, in this comfortable home. Things will be rosy. But he couldn't be further from the truth. I want you to turn with me now to the New Testament, to that passage by Peter, to see Peter's commentary in 2 Peter chapter 2, because Peter lets us in to the struggles of Lot. They're a little hidden from us in Genesis. But when Peter writes by the inspiration of the Spirit, he opens things up just a little for us. 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll jump in the middle of the passage here, verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. His worldly choice meant his soul tormented him. That's the language. Lot's far from happy. Lot's far from having a spirit of delight and joy and content. He's dwelling among them, and the word here, tormented, uh, can even have the idea of being tortured. His righteous soul is being tortured from day to day. This is an expression to speak about a daily experience. He's having a daily struggle spiritually. His soul is buffeted. Like the endless waves are constantly crashing of the world on his soul. That's the idea of this language. The worldly choice he made those years before. Can you see? It sent him down a track of misery. And for his family, down a path of incredible danger spiritually. And in the end, even physically, it seems very little thought had been given how best he could serve God or how this would affect his children. There seems to have been little thought given to the safety and the health of his own soul, let alone his wife and his daughters. And one of the most tragic things I believe that we will see where, where, where this man ends up 
The last scene of Moses' pen when it comes to Lot, what we might call Lot's legacy, it emerges at the end of chapter 19. You remember it. Lot's living in a cave with his two daughters who commit incest leading to the pagan nations of the Moabites and the Ammonites who in the scriptures become thorn in the side of God's covenant people. That's Lot's legacy. Lot's choice is meant to stand out as a beacon for us all. It is meant to be a warning light to show to us the subtlety and the danger of these things. And brethren, I I cannot improve on the counsel of J.C. Ryle on this very point, about where we live. And he said this, It is not enough that the house is comfortable, that the price or rent small, or the cost of living cheap. There are are other things to be considered. You must think of your immortal soul. Will the house help you towards heaven or hell? Is the gospel preached within an easy distance? Is there a real man of God near who will who will watch over your soul? I charge you, he says, if you love life, not to overlook this. Beware. Of Lot's choice. End quote. And I think I I think you know what I mean if I would say there are there are doctors and there are doctors. And there are teachers and there are teachers. There are spiritual doctors and there are spiritual teachers. There are churches, and there are churches. There is spiritual oversight, and there is spiritual oversight. Lot chose the wrong place to live, in my estimation, when it came to his soul, when it came to his wife's soul, and when it came to his children. And friends, barely one Christian in a thousand in our day even thinks about these things when it comes to moving house, let alone use these principles to determine God's direction. Oh, it's nice to have a comfortable house. It's nice to have a beautiful outlook. It's nice to have cheaper taxes. But Jesus calls his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now we have young people with us this morning. Some of you are Christian parents. This principle that we're looking at here, this lesson of of choosing things, especially a, a career or selecting a job, it's crucial. 
Again, listen to J.C. Ryle, where he says in very easy to understand words, it is not enough that the salary is high, the advantages numerous. Think of the soul, the immortal soul. Will it be fed or starved? Will it prosper or be drawn back? Will Sunday be free to be able to have one day in the week for spiritual business? I beseech you, he says, by the mercies of God, to take heed that you don't make a rash decision. Beware of Lot's choice. Now, thirdly and finally, we go back to Genesis. I want us to consider the deliverance he needed. The deliverance he needed. You see, the story moves on in chapter 14, where Lot finds himself caught up in this city-state warfare. The five cities of the Jordan Valley rebelled against a ruling power. And so the big army came to subdue them. And so the issue of international politics and warfare led to what we read in verse 11. And then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and they went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and notice, and his goods, and departed. Now what a lesson that should have been for Lot. Because all that Lot had manoeuvred to accomplish was actually taken away in one swift move. He, it says, and all that he had was taken. It seems likely that Lot and his family had probably only been living in Sodom for a matter of months. And then this hits. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. And what a lesson for Lot. Jesus says, do not lay up treasures on earth. And he goes on to say, because that's where thieves break in and steal. What an illustration this is of that very text. This story of Lot. Now, of course, God could have just left Lot suffer under the discipline of that situation. But God was so merciful. Chapter 14, of course, records the deliverance he needed. And it was Uncle Abe who goes on his search and rescue mission, we might call it. Verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Friends, let's not miss 
the amazing patience and mercy of God to rescue Lot from his own folly. But, but it isn't that, isn't that really something that we all as believers can relate to, how, how God has often been toward us? That yes, he allows us to feel something of the heat of our own worldly ways or our lack of righteous priorities when we become like righteous lot and we make an unrighteous decision. Yes, God might discipline us. And yet in his mercy, he comes and he delivers us from the, the dangers that our own folly have brought upon us. And so with a small band here, Abram succeeds in his search and rescue mission. Moses tells us in verse 15, Abram and his men pursued them for what was roughly 60 miles. And then verse 16, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Mission accomplished. He goes to search for his brother. There is deliverance and the captives are set free. We're going to press pause on the story of Lot and we'll come back to the next scene in the service. But as we close, can you see here in this last scene something of the gospel? Just think about it. Abram, in his search and rescue mission, points us to the great love of Christ for sinners. Like Abram, Christ was the kinsman of those whom he delivered. Christ came on a search and a rescue mission. He, he lived a life, though, of no compromise. He lived a life consistently of faith and trust in his Father. And he came to live for his brethren. And he came to set the captives free. And of course, Jesus' work, it involved defeating the principalities and powers. And of course, for him, he did that on the cross. What was his motivation? It was love for his brethren. Out of love, Jesus went great distance to rescue us. And so Abram's mission, like Christ, was carried on, yes, with great toil and with real suffering for himself. And yet as God granted Abram victory, God gave a greater victory to the seed of Abraham, Christ, who truly did set his brethren free, free from bondage to sin, free from bondage to Satan. Yes, Lot found himself in a great crisis. He needed deliverance. Are there some here who are in a far greater crisis right now? You sit here, yes, in church, but you're still a captive of Satan and of sin. 
Lot had no hope of deliverance himself, and neither do you. You desperately need to be saved by Jesus Christ. My friend, I urge you, cast yourself upon him. Cry out to him, because if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And, and for we here who are saved, again, I remind you to think of what the Lord Jesus procured in our deliverance from the wrath of God, to, to calculate that as it relates to you again. Never grow weary of this, brethren. How far Jesus went to save us. Not 60 miles. He came from heaven. He went to Calvary. He laid down his life for someone like you. Body broken, blood shed, granting us deliverance and pardon through his son. What can we say? But hallelujah, what a saviour. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God, we must first cry out to you in words of confession and shame. Oh, Lord, as your people, how easily our hearts have been drawn to temporary things. How foolish, Lord, some of our decisions in the past have been. Forgive us for not considering our own soul, for not considering in some cases those under our care, for not considering your honour, your glory and what is best for your kingdom. Forgive us, Lord. And yet we want to also raise our praise to you today for putting this beacon of Lot's choice in the Holy Scriptures. And so burn these things into our heart and our conscience even today, that we would be freshly determined to be Matthew 6, 33 Christians and Christian families and Christian churches, that we might seek first your kingdom, Lord, and your righteousness, knowing that you will keep your promise and that you will provide all that we need. Amen. Guide us and grant us, Lord, your grace to live in the light of this, your word. We pray in our Saviour's mighty name. Amen.